0: You don't know how many cues she gives me. Just kidding. Let's pray. Father, we have have sung praises to you. We have sung songs that, that confess our inadequacy, our unworthiness, and yet songs that remind us of the gospel of grace that meets us in our unworthiness, that brings us to you, that allows us the joy of knowing you and serving you. Father, thank you for this, your word. Now, as we approach it, I pray that we would receive it gladly, that we would apply it willingly in our lives, that you might receive glory from the lives we lead and that your kingdom might grow as a result of our witness for you. And so meet us in your word, instruct us by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well we come today to the end of our brief series in the book of Proverbs, and I hope that we have come to see that that wisdom from a biblical perspective has very little to do with IQ and has a great deal to do with decision-making. And the idea behind biblical wisdom is that we get better at it as we practice it. It's kind of like learning a sport or learning an instrument. We're not very good when we start out, uh, but the more we practice at it, the better we get. Uh, Pablo Casals, uh, great cellist, uh, died at the age of ninety-three and uh, 96, and, and up until the end of his life, daily he practiced the scales. Somebody asked him why he did that, and, and he said, uh, it's because I feel like I'm making progress. You know, we just need to stay at it, and the more we practice biblical wisdom, the better we'll get. It's a simple truth. You get good at the things you practice. It's like that with wisdom. We all start out simple, as uh, the book of Proverbs calls, calls us, the simple. Uh, the CSB translates that inexperienced. That's where we start out. But as we practice biblical wisdom, we get experience at it. Um, and we get good at it. We grow in it. But here's the key. It all starts with a relationship with God. The book of Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want to get wisdom, if you want to get understanding, it begins in a relationship with God. Fearing him, understanding him. That's the starting point. And that relationship with God is only available in Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so if, if we want to gain biblical wisdom, we need to begin in a relationship with God in Christ. All the godly wisdom a person can, can learn and practice may make that person a really great citizen, may make that person easier to live with, may make that person better to work for, but apart from a relationship with Christ, that person will still be eternally lost. I do believe that exposure to God's word, learning, The fear of the Lord and understanding of the Holy One will cause us to see how far short of his glory we fall, will cause us to see our need for a relationship with God in Christ. And in that conviction, we turn to the gospel, where we see that Jesus died to take on our sin, and as we trust in him, as we see him as our substitute, the one who has taken our sin from us, we come into a relationship with God, forgiven and able to commune with a holy God. So as we begin this final study in the book of Proverbs, I would ask you, how's your relationship with God? Do you have one? Have you stepped into a relationship with God? You may have come to River Hills for a long time, And have heard all about the gospel, but never having responded to it. Don't leave here today without responding to that good news. Jesus died to take your sin, my sin, on himself. It's paid in full. All we need to do is receive that gift to say, Lord Jesus, I want to respond to this gracious offer of yours see you as my substitute, and step into a relationship with the Father. Do that uh, today. Uh, I'll be up at the front of the, uh, the sanctuary here at the close of the service. If you have not prayed to put your trust in Christ, come talk with me. I'd love to pray with you at the end of the service. It is in the context, then, of a relationship with God that we desire by response to his love for us to know and to do his will. We don't do it to try to earn our way with him. We do it by way of response to what he's done for us in Christ. And that drives us into his word where we find his will revealed. When we apply his word to our lives, we gain wisdom. That's the beauty of Proverbs It has hundreds of examples of how we can apply God's word to our lives, and as we saturate ourselves in God's word, his perspective comes to characterize our lives. That's how wisdom works. So in week one, we considered the wise man and the fool, and then in the weeks following that... We considered godly wisdom for our eyes, for our ears, for our tongue, and last week for our homes. This week we want to consider godly wisdom for our relationships. If you uh, missed any of those, uh, they are posted on the website. Feel free to visit that and download them. Jesus said that people will know we are his disciples by our love for one another. And I pray that will be true of us here, that our love for one another will be a witness for him. That people will see that we belong to him and that the love that he has shown us is the love that characterizes our relationships for one another. Fact is, when we apply God's wisdom to our relationships, we can have the best relationships in the world. Too often in our churches today, we settle for less than that. Relationships don't look that good. Too often, we we settle for what we see modeled around us in the culture at large, rather than striving for the kind of relationships God's word tells us are possible. What happens then when we apply godly wisdom to our relationships? Relationships. I think we'll find a few things that come to characterize those relationships. i found five. I've put them in your program. I'd like to just talk about them a little bit now. Five things that will characterize our relationships as we submit to God's word in those relationships. And the first is constancy. Constancy. We will be faithful friends, constant friends Now, we've all seen fair-weather friends, those relationships that come and go according to how useful people find us to be for them. They're fair-weather friends. And nobody likes being used, and nobody likes having fair-weather friends. Proverbs 19, verse 4, speaks to the danger of having fair-weather friends. It says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Fair-weather friends. Proverbs tells us here that that people with wealth have friends that poor people don't have. We've all heard stories uh, about people who have won the lottery and suddenly found themselves surrounded by family and friends they never knew they had. Those aren't real friends. Real friends are constant. Have you ever felt used by a friend, by someone who claimed to be your friend? Do you consider that person a real friend? Nobody wants to have fair-weather friends. And chapter 27, verse 10, speaks of the danger of being one, being a fair-weather friend. It says, do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Don't just go to your brother when, he, when you have a need. We don't want to be fair-weather friends. We don't want to be the kind of people who use others, who show up only when we want something. We want to treat people with the intrinsic value that they have. True friends are constant. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. All times, the, the good times, the bad times. Uh, the easy, the hard. We want to be that kind of person who is a constant friend. So how constant are we? A A few questions for your consideration. Do your feelings improve towards someone when you stand to gain something from that person? Do you find yourself contacting someone when you need something from him or from her? Or do you just Connect because you want to be with that person. You keep certain persons in your current file of friends because they may come in handy. There was a song out a while ago called Using Things and Loving People, and it encouraged us to keep the order straight, not to lapse into loving things and using people. Christian friendships are special. They're they're not fickle. They're constant. That's the kind of friend we want to be. Our friendships can be marked by constancy. The second thing that should mark our relationships is counsel. Uh, We read earlier uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 23 about a really low point in David's life. He was on the run from Saul. Saul wanted to kill him. And at that low point, Saul's son, David's friend, Jonathan, came to him. And verse 16 of 1 Samuel 23 says, Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his hand in God. The NIV says, he helped him find strength in God. Or the CSB says, he encouraged him in his faith in God. That's what a uh, faithful friend will do. He will turn him to God. He will give godly counsel. Godly counsel is encouraging. Proverbs 27, verse 9 says Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. A true friend gives good counsel. Points someone back to God. And that's encouraging. And what's more, we want to hear it because it comes from a true friend, from someone who knows us and cares enough to point us to God's word. Godly counsel is not only encouraging, it's also sharpening. Chapter 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Do you have any friends who sharpen you? It's a good, good gift from God to have friends who will do that. People who will help you become a better, sharper instrument for God. I'm not talking about people who have all the answers. My sharpening friends are mostly ones who ask good questions. And when a friend gives counsel, we need to be sure we're open to hearing it. One of the most significant themes in Proverbs is that we need to listen to one another. When we consider godly wisdom for the ears, I said the first duty of the wise is to listen. Make room for godly counsel. So when you receive counsel, be sure you're really listening. It's the mark of wisdom. And when you give counsel, make sure it points to God. Be sure it's intended to encourage and to sharpen. Our relationships can be marked by godly counsel. So a couple questions. One is, do you give good counsel? One way to know that is, do people ask you for your advice? Another question is, do you receive counsel well, even counsel you didn't ask for? Another thing that should mark our relationships is candor. Candor. Our counsel needs to be genuine, it needs to be not flattering. If we compromise honesty in the name of kindness, we do a disservice. First Kings opens with the story of one of David's lesser-known sons, Adonijah. And First Kings 1 verse six tells us something really interesting about Adonijah's upbringing under his father David. It says David had never at any time displeased him, by asking, why have you done thus and so? David never inquired of his son why he was doing the things he was doing. He never interfered with his son's life. He never questioned his behavior. He just let him do his thing. Good parents interfere. Good parents interfere. Kids, if you feel like your parents are interfering in your life right now, that's a really good thing. They're supposed to be doing that. And one day Adonijah set himself up as king over his father David. And he set off a sequence of events that ultimately cost him his life. David's unwillingness to be candid with his son Cost that son his life. We need candor. We need people who will speak truth into our lives, people who will tell it like it is. Proverbs tells us to appreciate a friend who cares enough to do that. Appreciate a friend who cares enough to be candid. Chapter 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The real friend is one who cares enough to confront us, to wound us, to tell us the truth about what we're doing or what we're thinking of doing. The one who only tells us what we want to hear isn't the real friend in the end. Proverbs also tells us to be careful about the person who flatters us. In 29.5, it says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. In other words, flattery is a trap. So watch out for the person who flatters you. He's probably setting you up for something. We have a present-day proverb, don't we? Flattery is the what? Food of fools. Watch out for the one who flatters you. Now, A couple of caveats here. One is that we need to keep in mind that not everyone is fair game for our candor. A friend is someone who knows you well and trusts you enough to let them tell you the truth. Solomon isn't advocating for a watchdog mentality among casual acquaintances. If you have counsel to share, be sure you have the relational standing with that person to say it. That takes emotional intelligence, it takes EQ, Uh, To know if this is the right person, if this is the right time to share something with that person. The other caveat I would offer is that appreciation for those faithful wounds is likely to be somewhat delayed. Chapter 28, verse 23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Do you notice the word afterward there? Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. It may not be right away. That person may not say, hey, thank you so much for saying that. I really needed to hear that. In fact, someone may turn away from you because he didn't want to hear what you tried to say, however graciously you tried to say it. But I think we've all had people come back to us and say, you remember what you said back when you were right. Thanks for having the guts Tell me what I needed to hear, but didn't want to hear. So, our relationships need to be marked by candor. A few questions. Do you care enough to tell someone the truth, even though it may not be popular at the moment? Is your counsel genuine, or do you tell people what you think they want to hear? Are you wise in how you give it? When someone cares enough to be candid with you, do you receive it well? Another thing that should mark our relationships is care. Candor needs to be balanced by care, or it can be hurtful. We need to make sure our motives are right, and we need to make sure our methods are care-filled. Proverbs addresses some noteworthy lapses of care. One is imposing ourselves on people. Chapter 25, verse 17 says, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you. Be sensitive when you visit someone. Be sensitive uh, for the time when you recognize it's time to go. Someone once said, fish and house guests smell after three days. Right? Don't impose yourself on people. Another lapse of care that shows up in Proverbs is letting a joke go too far. Chapter 26, verse 18, verse 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. I had a college roommate once who used to make fun of me until I'd finally just get honked off and tell him, knock it off. And he'd say, oh, you just can't take a joke. No, he just didn't know when to quit. Didn't know when a joke had gone too far. Don't let a joke go too far. Another lapse of care that shows up in Proverbs is saying the right thing, but at the wrong time. Chapter 27, verse 14. A funny picture. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. It's one of the greatest word pictures in in the Bible. You know, you're trying to pry your eyelids open looking for your first cup of coffee, and this fellow comes and claps you on the back and loudly says, Good morning, and what has the Lord done for you so far this morning? Don't be that person. One more uh, lapse of care that we find in Proverbs is saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Saying the right thing at the wrong time is a lapse of care, but saying the wrong thing at the wrong time is too. Chapter 25, verse 20, introduces us to the self-appointed psychologist. It says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, like vinegar on soda. So you're shivering in the cold. Someone's here, let me take your coat off for you. It's not doing the person a favor, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart. I think we've all heard some of those songs. They disregard what the Bible says about rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. There's the cheer up song where someone comes along and says, count it all joy after you've shared something that is breaking your heart. There's the nothing to cry about song when you pour out your heart and they tell you about a situation they've had that is worse than yours. There's the what you need is song where they've got just the prescription for you. Trouble is, it's not the right prescription. There's the if your faith were stronger song. If your faith were stronger, you wouldn't have this problem. Someone actually said that to a friend of mine who couldn't bear children. If your faith were stronger, you'd have a child by now. All of those things are saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. The fact is, there's never a right time to say the wrong thing. Those are lapses of care, they show a low EQ. Proverbs can help us overcome a low EQ if we will just listen to the wisdom of God's word. Sometimes the lapses of care show us that the best thing we can do at the moment is just button up and listen. Our relationships need to be characterized by care. So is your candor balanced by care? Do you approach people with sensitivity Or do you just impose your agenda on them, impose your solutions on them? Do you consider the need of your friend ahead of your own need to express your opinion? Let's have our relationships marked by care. One last thing that should mark our relationships is confidentiality. In World War II, they used to say, loose lips sink ships, right? And loose lips also Hurt friends. Have you ever shared a deep hurt with someone and later gotten a phone call from someone else saying, how are you doing? I heard what happened to you. I'm praying for you. How likely are you to share something with that first person again? They have violated your confidence passing what you shared with them on to someone else. Nothing undermines a relationship faster than someone who can't keep a confidence. Chapter 11, verse 13 says, Whoever goes about slandering, and in the NIV, that word is gossiping, uh, the idea behind the Hebrew word there is being a talebearer, someone with a, a juicy bit to pass along. Whoever does that reveals secrets, it says, but he who is trustworthy in spirit, by contrast, keeps a thing covered. Or chapter 17, verse 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. But we say, well, Christians don't gossip, right? We just share prayer requests. We share concerns. We want people to be able to pray uh, with um, more uh, information. We need to make sure we're not just making excuses for gossiping when we share things. On a personal note, I have sat in on most of the search team meetings since I've been here. I'm really proud of your pastoral search team. They have had a ton of confidential material entrusted to them, and they have kept those confidences well. I'm also proud of your elders. They are trustworthy men who keep confidences And that's hard to do, especially when people want information from you, and especially in an environment where people may not trust their leaders all that much. Sometimes you have to put up with people who will think less of you when you don't give them the information they want. If you keep your confidences, though, in the end, they will think more of you for having done the right thing. Our relationships need to be marked by confidentiality. A couple questions then. Do you keep confidences? And one, would, one good way to measure that is, do people trust you with confidential things? Those are some things that i found in the book of Proverbs that should mark our relationships. Constancy, counsel, candor, care, confidentiality. When we apply God's wisdom to our relationships, a couple things happen. One is that our individual relationships become all they were meant to be. But second, the church becomes all that God has intended it to be as well. And I would urge you, don't settle. Don't settle for what you see in the culture around you. It takes so little to go beyond what the culture can do. Apply godly wisdom to your relationships. We can have the best relationships in the world. So what do we do with this message? What do we do with this whole series in the book of Proverbs? This is not a new legalism that we need to embark upon. The lists of points that I have offered to you in these sermons aren't just lists of things for you to tape to your refrigerator door and try to live up to. They are simply ways of organizing some of the themes in this wonderful book of wisdom literature called Proverbs. They describe what your life will look like if you're living according to godly wisdom. How do you get godly wisdom? It begins in a relationship with God in Christ. And in the context of that relationship, we gain exposure to his word. And so the biggest takeaway from this whole series might just be the challenge I laid out week one. To read a chapter a day from the book of Proverbs each day according to the day of the month that it is. Tomorrow you get a chance to start a brand new month. What happens when you do that? Themes emerge. You see the value of listening. You gain insight into people's character. You learn to guard your tongue and a host of other things. And slowly, over time, as you immerse yourself in God's word, his character begins to characterize your life. If you haven't taken up the challenge yet of reading a chapter a day, I'd urge you to get started tomorrow with a brand new month. Make it a habit. Watch God work in your life as his word transforms your thinking, and you'll find your life transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you bow with me and pray? Father, we desire to see our lives marked by what you have revealed in your word. So much of the book of Proverbs has to do with relational wisdom. And I pray, Father, that you would make us wise as we respond to your word. And Father... All of that is rooted in a relationship with you. I pray, Father, that our walk with you would be strong and growing stronger every day. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here this morning that has not stepped into a relationship with you and Jesus, I pray that that person would do that right now. By simply admitting, God, I recognize I am a sinner. I fall short of your glory, I fall short of your majesty. And Jesus, I recognize, died to take my sin entirely upon himself. And so I surrender myself to you. And I ask you to apply to my life, to my account, what Jesus did on the cross as he paid for my sin. So would you come into my heart and live in me by your Holy Spirit. Transform me from the inside out that my life might reflect your glory and become a living testimony to what you do in the life of someone who recognizes his or her sin and surrenders our life to you. So Father, I pray that you would move by your spirit among us, speak to our hearts what we need to hear from you, and let us be responsive to you. For your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen.